Friends, I'm Bonnie Keen. And I'm Nan Gurley. Pull up a chair and join us for a kitchen table conversation. We'd like to invite you to explore the lives of the women of the Bible. We know we're going to find encouragement and the faith we need to keep going. And there's always a place at the table for you. Here we go. The following episode of Women Who Dare to Believe was recorded in the summer of 2020. But we think you'll find this story to be relevant, timeless, and powerful in speaking to where we live today. Also, a quick reminder, if you'd like to purchase a copy of our Women Who Dare to Believe Bible Studies, you can reach us at our Facebook page or at womenwhodaretobelieve.com. Hi, I'm Nan. I'm Bonnie. Welcome Welcome to to Women Women Who Dare to Believe. Grab your forceps, ladies, as we take a look at the midwives of Egypt and the first recorded act of civil disobedience. The promise was made to Abraham. One day Messiah would come from the Hebrew nation. But God's covenant people are enslaved in Egypt, and Pharaoh puts to death the innocent sons of Israel. Across the land came the sound of Rachel weeping. I'm Bonnie. We are women who dare to believe. We're fascinated with women of faith who stood against the odds, trusted God, and lived victoriously. We wrote the musical Women Who Dare to Believe and the Bible Study based on the lives of these ladies. In the musical, we portray 21 different women from Scripture, and we spent so much time in the Bible researching these women and got so excited about what we learned that we decided to write a Bible study to go along with the musical. That's right. That was about, oh, over 10 years ago. Yep. And now we are in the summer of 2020. And times are changing. What do you do during a worldwide pandemic? About five or six months in, well, we started a Women Who Dare to Believe podcast. And in every podcast, we're looking at a different woman in Scripture to see what we can discover that made her tick and how we can relate to that woman now and where we're living and the time we're living in. And in the first act of our musical, we opened by telling the story of how baby Moses was born. And this would be in the first chapter of Exodus. So today we are going to look at the very fascinating lives of the midwives in Egypt. And just knowing that we were going to look at these midwives and what they did in ancient Egypt, how they were so life-giving and how that's such a life-giving profession. And God is so life-giving. And it made me think about how that's nothing new for us to, to be about life. Yeah. Um, And how infanticide is part of this story and how that's nothing new either, really. It's been around throughout history. 
So I just kind of looked at what was happening in our country because we live in the in the South in the United States of America in 2020, and what's happening with um, the you know Lives Matter movements and all the all the movements about life. And I looked today, and I found that the state of Georgia, which is close to us, is looking at passing a law which would make it illegal to abort a child, a baby, um, after six weeks because you can hear the heart beat. And they're getting a lot of pushback about this from big companies like Disney and Netflix and Warner Why? Why because they because they've been doing Atlanta especially has been really hopping with a lot of work for actors and film oh, companies. It's a big film town. It's a huge film town. So now um, a lot of directors and companies are coming out and saying if Georgia passes that kind of law, they won't take any of their business to the state anymore. So it's very controversial, mm-hmm. and it's like kind of the same thing we've been talking about. I looked at to see how much um, how many. Lives have been aborted in our country since 1973. How many? Over 61 million. Since Roe v. Wade. Today, 61 million uh, unborn children. So it just, it felt like, you know, you know, these are not new things for us, but it kind of made me kind of think, I'm going to look at these, these women who were about protecting life and try to imagine what that's like for them at that stage, delivering babies. It was a, it's a hot topic now and it was a hot topic then. Totally is. Nothing has changed. So let's like imagine, uh, this is from our Bible study, um, Breaking news for these women, right? So what would the headlines this, have been? What would they have been? Here we go. Breaking world news. Pro-life midwives union stands strong, defies government mandate. Pharaoh's diet plan for Hebrews is to die for. <laughs> it's called starvation diet. Starvation diet. All right, guys. <clears throat> Dear listeners, picture this with us. We're going to set the stage. In the blistering noonday sun as the heat rises from the streets of a slave ghetto. A Hebrew woman cries out in the final stages of labor. She is comforted by her teenage daughter and a woman from the Midwives Guild who is coaching her through labor and encouraging her to push. This agony soon will be over, but another one will take its place. If she gives birth to a son, he will be taken from her before she can even wipe the sweat from her face and hold him to her breast. He quickly will be taken from her arms and thrown into the Nile River, where he will drown or become food for a crocodile. She tries to stifle her cries of pain. Spies walk the streets, listening for the sound of labor and the first cry of a newborn. And this laboring mother is praying for a girl child. This begins a moment in time when four women will come to a crossroads. A midwife, a mother, a big sister, and a princess. All will be asked to make a choice. And no matter what they choose, the road will not be easy. This is a real woman in ancient Egypt. We're just focusing in on her facing a very hard decision. Right. Um, it reminds me a little bit of that movie that I saw called Quiet. Oh. But yeah, um, we'll talk about that later. Oh, okay. 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 Good. Because so don't forget that. No, I won't. Because I love I that just, movie. When you were saying that, it made me remember that movie. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Don't forget that. But uh, <laughs> let's look at these midwives of Egypt. Now, they lived during the time of the Israelites' sojourn in Egypt during the cruel time of their slavery. There are only seven verses, which is so interesting, right? Seven verses, completion, (laughs) in Exodus chapter one, devoted to the midwives. But we really believe their story is worthy of an entire podcast. It's dramatic. It is. Which we love. I do. Yes, we both do. (laughs) They were radical, they were subversive, and they were courageous women. Their choices were the first example 
in recorded history of civil disobedience against an evil regime. That's wild. I know. I know. The first sample of civil disobedience is in the Bible. It's in the Bible and it's women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love one what, day, right? What's not to love? Okay. So, Bon, what's their backstory? I got to know more about these women. Okay. Who are they? Okay. And what happened before Exodus 1 when okay. we hear about them? What's going okay. on this in history? This is fascinating as well. I mean, I think history is so interesting. I do too. Um, the last chapters of Genesis, ladies, go back and read it if you haven't, tells us how the Hebrews ended up being slaves in Egypt. At the end of Genesis, Joseph is finally reunited with his father Jacob in Egypt. Now, by this time, Joseph was second in command because he was highly respected by the Pharaoh. This happened because Joseph was responsible for saving the entire population from starvation during a seven-year famine. So Joseph brought his father and all of his clan to Egypt to live with him. And at that point, there were 70 members of the family that settled in a place in Egypt called Goshen. Now, Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. It says he lived to see his great-grandchildren and died at 110 years old. Oh, that's impressive. I know. For that time. Yeah, and uh, to see that kind of fruit of your life, you know, around you. But before he died, Joseph gave his family some orders. He said, when God keeps his promise and brings our people out of Egypt, so he knew they were going to go out of Egypt, into the promised land, which is interesting as well, then take my bones with you. (laughs) Yeah, take my bones with you, baby. (laughs) So he so Joseph had been told stories of Yahweh. He knew the covenant Yahweh had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob to give them their people a land of their own. He remembered all this as yeah. he was dying. He was a visionary on his deathbed. That's so cool. He had the faith to believe that God would be faithful and that one day God would take his people out of Egypt, like just like he had said he would. Okay, so that's okay. That's, that's the, the end of Genesis. Genesis. Okay. Right. So 400 years go by. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, from the last chapter of Genesis to the first chapter of Exodus, mm. where we learn that things ain't so good in the land of Goshen, um, the people... <laughs> of Israel have greatly multiplied from the mere 70 they started out with. And the Bible says that Egypt was full of them, that they, quote, multiplied and were exceedingly strong. I mean, that's that's interesting to me, yeah, that is. they're exceedingly strong. Yeah. yeah. They're slaves. They're, you know, they're, they're doing hard labor mm-hmm. every day, probably on a starvation diet, but they're strong, which is very interesting to it me. It is. It also says that there was now a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So in other words, he didn't respect or appreciate Joseph's legacy yeah. at all. So now, here's here's another thing to throw into the mix. The pharaohs considered themselves to be gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't find that hard to believe. <laughs> not, not much has changed. No, and had so they had absolute power over their subjects. Now, who was this particular pharaoh? Ladies, listen up. This is so interesting. Okay, now, yes. I love this. All right, we did a little digging. Mm-hmm. And we can't, you know, we can't be totally dogmatic and absolutely sure about all this, but we think we're onto something here. We know a date in scripture. I think it's it's First uh, Kings or maybe Chronicles. We know that when yes. Solomon began to build the temple, he began that 480 years after the Hebrews came out of Egypt. So that's our timestamp. And so we go backwards uh, from that, from 480 years backwards, and we land on a pharaoh named Amenhotep II. <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. he was in charge. He was Pharaoh when Moses led the children out of Israel and left Egypt in ruins. Right. Okay, Moses was 80 when he did this. This is the time of the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, Ten Commandments, all that. Moses right. is 80. Okay, so that's 1446 BC. Now, do some more math with me. Okay. Count back 80 years to Moses' birth. Counting back 80 years 
from that moment, who was Pharaoh when Moses was born? Okay, get a load of this. Love this. His name was Tut Moses. Tut Moses the first. Okay, Tut Moses. Tut Moses the first. So more about Tut One later. A lot more about Tut One yes. later in our podcast about his daughter, the Princess of Egypt, yes. which is so much You've fun. Got to tune in for that, ladies. Oh, it's so fun. So Tut One was the psychopath <laughs> when Moses was born. Right. When he's the guy who ordered all the male Hebrew babies to be thrown into the Nile. So, Tut one. No, now. Donkey Tut. <laughs> King Tut. Donkey Tut. So, evidently, when Tut one was a boy growing up in the royal school, his Egyptian history teachers left out some important history, mm-hmm. some important sto- stories here. Tut one was not taught the early history mm-hmm. of Egypt that included a man named Joseph. I guess they thought 400 years back was too far back. So, he didn't know about Joseph. He had no knowledge of this brilliant Jew, this right. brilliant Hebrew man who many years before saved Egypt and the entire civilized world from starvation. So instead of respecting the Hebrew nation, he made them his slaves. He was scared of them when they grew in number. And Deuteronomy 4 verse 20 describes their experience under his rule in slavery as, quote, being in an iron smelting furnace. It just sounds like a nightmare. Totally. Okay. So he likes his cheap labor force. Yes. Building his cities and his tombs. And worst of all, in this maniacal thinking process, he chooses infanticide as a way of controlling the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. You know. And he could have made another choice. He could have chosen to treat them well and respect them as part of Egyptian culture and history. But no, he feared that if one of another enemy nation invaded Egypt, right. you know, that the Hebrews would side with them. Well, yeah, duh. But fear makes people do weird things. Oh. Uh, I mean, that's what really jumps out at me as you're saying this. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. I identify with that. He, he could have made them friends. Right. To the government. Partnered but with them. Partnered with them. Mm-hmm. Instead of fearing them, he decided to wipe them out. Right. And and he uh, he hopes to eventually absorb the people by marrying the Hebrew girls to Egyptian slaves and making the Hebrews oh, just brother. disappear as a race of people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's, he's done the math. And for Tut One, the Hebrews are a security risk. And so his solution is child extermination. So to solve the problem of there being too many Hebrews... Tut One calls in the leaders of the Midwife Guild. It's 1526 (laughs) B.C. when our heroic midwives step onto the pages of history. 1526 B.C. Mm -hmm. Long time ago. Long time ago. But but not that long ago. Not that long ago. No. Who are they? Their names are Shipra and Pua. (laughs) Beautiful names. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that when Moses wrote the book of Exodus... He wanted to make sure these women's names were in there, but he did not give us the name of Pharaoh. We had to go look that one up. Tut, what's his name? Tut Whatever. One. Tut, Tut one. one. But we know that Shipra and Pua would have been the leaders of the midwife guild. So we think Moses was making a point here that the midwives were highly esteemed in the eyes of Hebrews in their in their history, and especially in the eyes of God. But the Pharaoh, mm, not so much. No. <laughs> but before we talk about them, let's talk a little bit about midwifery. Is that how I say it? You know what? I don't know. Midwifery? 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 I think it's that wifery. That sounds better. Yeah. Midwifery I don't in know. Egypt. I didn't look that up. 1526 BC. <laughs> I mean, good. midwives are today, let's just say this, they're a special breed of, of women. They, they're calm and comforting. They are kind of like a hospice nurse. Oh, That's how them. I think of them. Yes. 
uh, these professions seem to attract a certain personality of people that aren't afraid to be in the presence of pain and screaming <laughs> women, screaming women in discomfort, uh, both physically and emotionally. Uh, some of you listening might be a practicing midwife. We would love to hear your insight after listening to this podcast. We'd like to hear about your profession. Um, the research we've done has been just fascinating. So please feel free to post comments on our Facebook page, Women Who Dare to Believe. Um, we'd love to hear from you, little aside there. Uh, but we're guessing that the midwives in Egypt were a lot like you. You know, <laughs> you're a special breed and you totally rock. Totally. We have so much respect for you. In Egypt, if you were wealthy, this is nothing new either, right? If right. you're wealthy, you had a certain kind of birthing experience. Yeah? Very different. Than the, than the poor people. Mm-hmm. But you were, um, if you were poor, not so much again. If you were poor or pregnant, your midwife might be a friend or a neighbor or a relative who would help you deliver your baby. But if you were a person of wealth and status, you had a nurse or a servant who already lived as part of your staff in the household. I guess a household midwife or nurse. Staff. 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 Doesn't that sound Let's wonderful? just think about that for a moment. Staff in staff. your household. <laughs> yes. And when I, when I have a baby, I'm just like, you just step forward, my staff, and follow me around with oh, herbs and things. Yes. Probably a lot like now, a midwife learned this trade through an apprenticeship by watching another more experienced woman deliver babies. And then she passed on that knowledge to the younger midwives and on to the next generation, etc. So the midwife would emotionally support you mm-hmm. while in labor. And she coached you, same thing, gave you medical care, just like today, focused on pregnancy and labor, delivery, fertility, um, contraception. I don't even want to think about that right no, now, but no. anyway. <laughs> well, I want to know where, where they gave birth. Did well, they? now, if you were, if you were a wealthy Egyptian woman, Nan, <laughs> You delivered your baby on a shady rooftop. Ooh, caught the breeze. Oh, yes, a little 110 breeze in your face. <laughs> in the iron screaming. furnace. Yes, in the iron furnace. Uh-huh. Or in a garden, or this is one of my favorites that we discovered, something called a confinement pavilion. <laughs> confinement? <laughs> I'm quoting. Sounds like the red tent. Is that, mm-hmm, is that early confinement pavilion like a spa day? Oh, that'd be of? lovely. I don't think so. Mm-mm. Because this is what it would happen. Um, in their confinement as the breeze wafted over them like mm-hmm. a furnace, they would stand or kneel or squat or nan sit on their heels, uh-huh. whichever seemed the best choice considering the pain level or where you were in the process. Or if you really wanted to do it, old school maybe, whatever, you would use a birthing brick. Birthing brick? Birthing brick in what? 110 degree heat. Let's just, what? Bricks just in general make me want to sweat. What, do you throw them at your husband? Uh, a birthing brick? Probably, yes, yes. He wasn't throw anywhere up. around. No, he not was not anywhere around. He was out strolling in his... Riding a camel. Riding a camel. <laughs> um, or or the, while the woman sat in a birthing chair with a hole in the center. Oh, God help them. <laughs> I Well, the midwife would be right there in front of her to help catch the baby. Catch the baby as it came out. There's a little pressure. She call an audible. And <laughs> someone, I mean, I've had two children and I literally was like, how fast can you give me the epidural? How soon? The second time with my set with Graham, I literally got to the hospital. I said, I want my epidural now. Oh, preferably um, the week before. Yeah, the week before. <laughs> so this just sounds like hell to me. Mm-hmm. Um, bricks mm-hmm. and birthing things. And um, two other women would be on either side of her and hold her arms while she was pushing. Might I add screaming? And this is for the wealthy people. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So the birthing bricks, the birthing bricks, not on Amazon right now, <laughs> were 14 by 7 inches, and they were painted 
with scenes of other women going through this lovely process. Oh, that would make it easier. Yeah, why would anybody want to look at scenes of other women screaming in agony, giving birth on a brick during labor? I mean, the birthing bricks were also decorated with painted scenes of the mother and baby of various goddesses. Oh, Nice. Goddesses here and there. Okay. This was a culture, you guys. Let's think about this truly. I mean, for in Western civilization, here we are in 2020. This is a culture with no sanitation, mm. pretty much. No clean sheets, no epidurals, no modern drugs, no extraordinary neonatal care if something went wrong. No memory foam. No, no memory <laughs> foam. No memory a foam. No air conditioning. But because of the danger of childbirth, this is just wild. Egyptian women had eight count them eight gods and goddesses that they could call on for protection and help yeah you do eight you have a choice of them so one of our favorites is names was hathor h-a-t-h-o-r hathor hathor goddess who was the guardian of women and domestic bliss (laughs) who took care of women in childbirth and get this this is the best part hathor was designed to be worshipped in the shape of a cow oh Mm. yeah pregnant women feel that big okay So, all right. So we learned that the midwives used spells and incantations to these gods during labor and delivery. (laughs) This is so wild. So your midwife is shouting while she's helping you squat on the bricks. Okay. One god named Horus. Horus. H-O-R-U-S. Yes. Horus and Hathar. Required the midwife to assist the birth process. Oh, this is great, you guys. By saying, come down, down. placenta, come down. <laughs> I am Horus who conjures in order that she who is giving birth becomes better than she was as if she was already delivered. I am Horus who saves her. Make the heart of the deliverer strong oh, and gosh. keep alive. The one that is coming, come down, placenta, come down. You know, I would have wanted to slap whoever said that so hard. Becomes better than if she was already delivered, like while she's in excruciating pain. Yeah, Horus. Okay. Yeah, gotta love that. Just not, let that. Not mm-hmm. so. Not so comforting. So <laughs> that's what's happening in a rich. Egyptian woman's birthing room. If you were a Hebrew slave in Egypt in 1526 BC, you'd be squatting over two birthing stones trying to give birth in secret. Mm. You'd have a mother or a sister or best friend by your side. You would definitely not (laughs) shout an incantation. No. Especially at this point in time when the ruler of the land wants to kill all the male babies, you'd labor as quietly as you possibly could. Imagine that. You know, and I just thought about what you said. They had birthing bricks if you were wealthy, and the Hebrew women had birthing stones. Oh, I didn't I didn't I wonder if that. they were more uneven or, or you know, smaller. That's an interesting question. It sounds like poverty more. The it, stones it does. versus a, stone, a brick. Right. A stone would have been something you found by the river. Right. It would have been just probably But different. a brick is crafted. A brick would be crafted. And yeah. painted with great artwork. Painted with Horus and Hathor. And women <laughs> women with their mouths wide open. <laughs> Come down. Yes. But you know what? What were you going to say? You were talking. We, we were oh, yes. quietly had to labor. What, what when you brought up the movie Quiet? What were you thinking well, I, about? I'm just remembering that that brilliant movie Quiet, yeah, uh, the, where it. the mother had to stay completely silent when she was giving birth in the bathtub. Oh, what a scene. It was such an intense scene because there was so much danger if anybody heard her making any noise. Right. So they, I think there were rags in her mouth or she was just 
-hmm. in such agony. And I think about these poor women, these Hebrew women trying to give birth with nobody knowing. And the midwives trying to help them probably navigate that pain. Right. Um, You know, helping them stay quiet however they could. But they put rags in their mouths. They would have to stifle or or try to keep them far away from anybody knowing. From a window or a door. Right. Yeah. But in a ghetto, how much privacy do you really have? I don't know. Just mind-blowing. Well, you know, um, I... I, Oh, oh, you told me a cool story. Oh. (laughs) Once about... Wait. <laughs> a friend, some, a couple, some friends of ours from years ago, dear couple, uh, were, she was in labor with their first child. And uh, Tom, her husband, was standing by the bed beside her, a great guy, an attentive, kind. You have to keep prefacing this with how nice and good yeah, and kind right, they were. Right, right, Great people. And she is just miserable in the in the high stages of labor. And she, re- Tom is standing beside her. She reaches over, grabs his arm, and bites him <laughs> on the arm. <laughs> And she said, thanks a lot. It's all your fault that I'm in this situation. Gosh. Labor. Oh, gosh. Well, and there have probably been some bitten people around the, the Hebrew women, too, because probably. Lord God help them. Probably. So anyway, this is the culture that this is what's going on for these for these midwives. And Shipra and Pua, these brilliant women, have been summoned to stand before Moses the first. <laughs> so let's put ourselves just for a moment, ladies, into their sandals. Um, imagine that you and your best friend have been called, whoever you work with, one of your co-partners, called into a meeting with the most powerful leader in the civilized world, a president, uh, somebody that you would just be in awe of and a fear of. Now, he knows what you do for a living. That's why he called you there. He knows your profession and he has an agenda. Yikes. And you probably have an idea that he's not a really well person. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guards come to escort you into the Pharaoh's office. You hold each other's hands. You remember a pact you probably made not to look around. Your hands would probably feel clammy. You fight back fear. Your heart would be pounding. Yeah. Now, Tut Moses doesn't even look you in the eye before getting right to the point. Things are about to change in your workplace. The next time either of you is called to deliver a Hebrew child, if it is a boy, you're to kill the child as it's being born. Boom, there it is. So you would Mm. feel your friend's quick intake of breath. This is worse than maybe you thought. Mm -hmm. Neither of you can speak or neither of you knows what to believe, one that you've just heard, because your whole profession is about bringing life. And by the order of the king, you are to perform what is known as infanticide can't imagine it. Mm-hmm. So as Shipra and Pua leave the palace, they make a decision that will endanger their lives. So these two friends, you and your friend, if it's the two of you, don't know it at the time, but the choice that you make that day will be told to generations like us, generations to come, yeah. thousands of years later. It will inspire little boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a future queen named Esther. Mm-hmm. And let's think about this. All four of those people, just like the midwives, stood before kings in their day and made the really tough choice of whether or not to obey civil disobedience mm-hmm. or to obey what God had asked them to do. Right. You know, <clears throat> it would be good for us to sort of zoom out yeah. for a second, get a meta kind of view yeah. about who is really Mm-hmm. behind this crazy plan of Pharaoh and yeah. what Good. is really at mm-hmm. stake here. You've got to zoom Good. out for a minute. Now, we've got to remember previously what God promised to do. He'd made a covenant with Abraham. Joseph knew this, yep. 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 He'd made a covenant and he promised centuries before this moment to Abraham that through him 
all the nations of the world would be blessed. It's Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. God promised Abraham that one of his descendants would be the Messiah. Yes. So God had guaranteed Abraham that he would not allow his people to disappear from the earth. So to protect them and to keep his promise, what does he do? He raises up Shifra and Pua, two midwives. I just love this. Yeah. And we have to remember the work of Satan is behind this plan mm-hmm. to murder all the Hebrew male babies in Egypt. He stops at nothing in order to thwart the hand of God, God and destroying people. That's really important to me. Yeah. You have to remember that no matter what day it is in history, that is always Satan's agenda. Destroying people because they're made in God's image. Exactly. And he keeping can't us stand apart it. And right. keeping us at odds with each other. Exactly. And, yeah. So <clears throat> the birth of Moses is the birth of a deliverer for God's people. And he grows up to be the man who will receive the law of God on Mount Sinai on behalf of the people. And he will constantly intercede for them. Satan would love to destroy this plan uh, because Moses is an ancestor of Jesus. Yes. He's a picture of Jesus Christ and the work Jesus will do one day for his people as the deliverer fulfilling the law and interceding even now on our behalf. So in the New Testament, we see the same tactics of Satan Mm -hmm. to derail the plans of God for our salvation. When Jesus is born, history repeats itself. Herod heard from the wise men that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, and he immediately orders the killing of every boy in Bethlehem two years old and under. It's such a mirror in the Old and New Testament. It is. It's just a beautiful pattern. It is. But once again, the plans of Yahweh can never be thwarted. So when one tells the midwives to kill the boy babies, what do they do? (laughs) <laughs> they completely disobey him. Yeah. Now, I we have to also ask, we have to back up and ask, where did they find the guts to do that? I don't know. Now, was this just simply a good day for those girls, mm. or had they already mm, thought through good. some things? I, we get a big clue, <clears throat> because the Bible says this about them, quote, the midwives feared God. It doesn't say the midwives feared Pharaoh. No. Which would have been understandable. Right. It says they feared God because, I mean, I mean, Pharaoh had the power to kill them if they didn't follow orders, but they believed God's moral law outweighed Pharaoh's demands. And this is a decision they would have had to have made mm-hmm. long ago yeah. before they ever stood before the king. Mm-hmm. They chose to resist. Pharaoh found out about it, calls them in again and asks, why? Why have you let the male babies live? And their answer is very interesting. Yes. Now, we don't know if they were lying, but they replied, <laughs> they said to him, well, you know, Pharaoh, tut, <laughs> the, tut, the Hebrew women are in good shape. Great shape, baby. <laughs> they give birth before the midwives can get the, there to, to assist them. Maybe, now maybe Shifra and Pua had told the other midwives in the guild, mm-hmm. just, just show up late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> delay your arrival but and maybe they just flat out lied we mm-hmm. don't know but either way they made a choice and they refused to kill any hebrew babies yeah and you know what i was thinking when you were saying that um that they feared the bible says they feared god um feared would have meant respected mm-hmm. trusted and awe of yeah. god reverence and reverence all at the same time of thinking also i don't want to disobey this brilliant, beautiful God. Uh, it wasn't like trembling fear as necessarily just of being afraid of him, but I don't want to step out of line of what he would have me do. Didn't want to disappoint him. Didn't want to disappoint him. They were like, okay, we will disappoint Tut. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
So um, I love remembering there are different angles to fear. Yes. You know, especially in the word feared God. Oh, yeah. Is, is an awe. Well, and we, we know from other verses, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. wisdom. Yes. It's a good fear. It's a good, healthy this is fear. Proverbs, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yes. You start with the fear of God and then everything else is going to fall into place. Everything else. And they just walked right in there and said, well, you know, they're just strong women. They pop those babies out, <laughs> you know, out of whatever. But Tut was not happy with this. No, he wasn't. Um, he wanted his way. So this is terrifying what he did next. He took it one step further and he deputized every Egyptian citizen and commanded them to kidnap any Hebrew male child they could find and throw them into the River Nile. So wait, a Hebrew so, woman could be walking down the street and right. have any non-Hebrew person grab her baby from her arms right. and just start running. And start running. Toward the would, river. Yes. Yes. I yes. cannot imagine living in, in a situation I, like that. I can't. That's that's terrifying fear. Yeah, it is. Of evil. Yeah. And um, it sounds a lot day. like uh, Germany when Hitler was yep. uh, in power. It sounds like Hitler and Tut Moses had a lot in common. Yep. They took a playbook from Tut Moses one. <laughs> um, you know, the Egyptians definitely feared the Pharaoh. They feared this current government because they had how many? 200, 300 gods? I don't know. They yeah. didn't fear God. Mm -hmm. They didn't fear Yahweh. So a lot of these Egyptians did what they were told. But, um just there's a whole story. I mean, this is just like you don't make this up. But God blessed Shipra and Pua and these midwives who followed him. He he blessed them for their disobedience to the Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And the Bible tells us that because the midwives feared God, he dealt very well with them and gave them households. This is so rich. He gave the midwives children during a time when it was dangerous to have children. Mm, there's some irony there. That's the Lord reversing things all yeah, the time. Reversals. And these women uh, remind me a lot, Nan, um, of the women in the underground resistance in Europe. Yeah. Thinking of Hitler during World War II, these people that risked their lives and hid Jews from Nazi Germany. Yeah. They were brave. To do, to do the right thing, they risked everything to value life and to save lives. And many of them paid for it by losing their own lives in a concentration camp. But those that aided the Nazis or simply didn't speak out against them feared their culture, the Nazi government, more than they feared or even believed in God's ways and life-giving ways. And you know, I understand that. Yeah, I do too. I understand being really afraid mm -hmm. of, the, of going against popular opinion. Oh, I'm intimidated. It's very, it's very uncomfortable. It's very intimidating. You, you're afraid of, of what other people will say or think. Yeah. You're afraid of being strange or weird or viewed differently. You're, losing you're, friendships. Losing friendships. Losing, losing work. work. I mean, these women, that was their livelihood. Um, if you don't fall in line with what your culture says... You can lose all kinds of reputation, opportunities. Your, it can affect your pocketbook, your income, your friendships. Nothing has changed. Um, that's just as old as, yeah, old as time. But, but these women showed us, they show us now, how to not be afraid of something that goes against what we know the law of God stands for. We see that same kind of civil disobedience in the book of Daniel. And his three friends during that time in Babylonian captivity, because they served in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, another, <laughs> does this always happen? Another paranoid, maniacal psychopath, a king ruling in Babylon in such power. Yeah. And the enemy, like you said, the enemy always goes after God's people. And I just keep thinking, you know, when God said, let, let us make them in our image of the spirit and Jesus and God, he made, he made humanity in his image. There's a holiness and a reverence of that. 
And, and Satan is always going out and trying to destroy the image of God in people and trying to wipe them out. But God's plans can never be derailed, ever. No matter what happens, he's still shutting the mouths like he was in Daniel. He's shutting the mouths of lions mm-hmm. even now. So um, and looking at that, like you're saying, it's just, I think it's a day-by-day working out. We are called as a Christ follower to be a model citizen where we live. We're called to serve other people equally as image bearers of God. Right. And to obey the lands, uh, the laws of our land, yes. But somehow in there, there's always a higher court and a higher authority. So we're always called, as we follow Jesus, to, to have a responsibility, really, to know the word and to discern and weigh out between what our culture asks us to do, but what God asks us to do, because his lie, His laws always have a purpose, and they're always about redemption, and they're always life-giving. Right. That's just what keeps coming back to my mind. Um, Shipra and Pua's story is all about life-giving. And so in spite of the law of the land, which required infanticide, <laughs> and this is, again, just God's character is to continue to multiply the Israelites, so they were going to be wiped out. But by the time of Exodus, there were more than 600,000 men. So all the people probably numbered around 2 million. <laughs> he's, he's all about reversals. Yes. yes. What Satan means for death, God, God means for, for good. evil, God means for yes. good. So <clears throat> I'm thinking, all right, this is a dramatic, cool story about these two mm-hmm. women. But it, it forces us to ask some questions of ourselves. Okay, we know that Shifra and Pua feared God. So I ask myself, who do I fear? Yeah. They could have lost their jobs, their lives. And what am I willing to risk to follow God? You know, I mean, yeah, he's the one that I ultimately answer to. I, I will stand before him one day. I will give an account Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> as a child of God, as a person who has trusted Christ's righteousness on my behalf, I don't live in fear of losing my salvation, but I will stand before him. I will give an account for how I've used my time and my talents for what did, what did I do down here? We'll have a conversation about it. And I'm thinking, okay, I better get up you know, every morning and go, okay, I need to live my life today in a way, in such a way that I always keep before me the fact that I'm going to answer for this. I'm going to give it an account. So that's going to inform every decision I make. It's going to inform, you know, the way I behave while driving in traffic, (laughs) you know, am I a courteous driver? Mm -hmm. It will inform the way I treat people in the world of retail you know, it'll, it'll inform how I speak and relate to my husband and my children and my friends. Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm going to give an account must inform everything. everything. Yes. And you've got to think that through. Mm-hmm. You've got to plan ahead. So we think, you know, go back to Shifra and Pua. You know, they had to have a private conversation. Yeah. Before they answered Pharaoh's summons, they had to be on the same page. They had to decide together that no matter what happened, they'd stand together and defend the lives of the babies, even if it meant they died. Right. And every courageous woman, each one of us who follows hard after God, we're able to pass that courage on to one another, just like Shifra and Pua. We can hold fast to the same God who protected them in a world that was turned upside down. I have heard so many people say that right now during this pandemic. The world is upside down. It looks like it is right now. It does. Not just the pandemic, but everything everything, that is happening. And you know what? 
It comforts me to remember that feeling like the world is upside down is not anything new. No, no. Every generation has a chance to look at, at what's happening in their culture, in their lives, and go, I don't understand this. It looks wrong. It looks upside down. It looks like God is absent. Right. It looks like God is not at work. So what will I believe? Right. And um, I think that's where we are right now. It is, absolutely. You know, right now we're going, we've never seen this before. We've never had to deal with these issues before. Not in my lifetime. And not in my lifetime. But that's nothing new to God. No, it's not. And his word is everlasting. It doesn't change. Right. And his love and his faithfulness doesn't change. No. And he knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're facing. It's not a surprise to him. He's no. not wringing his hands in heaven. Um, no, he's, he's not. He's intimately involved and, and will give us courage, you know. I think about my grandparents. Um, they had to look at the world uh, when the oh, Spanish yes. flu hit and killed millions. Well, first, before that, they had to look at the world when World War I started and go, the world is upside down. Sure. And immediately following that, they had to look at the Spanish flu and, and go, wait a minute. We just lost millions, millions. of yeah. people to World War I. Now we're losing millions to Spanish flu. Right. And then they had to get up the morning of the stock market crash and go, wait a minute, the world is upside down. Right. We've lost everything. Mm-hmm. And then they had to get up the morning of the, when World War II World broke War II. out. Yeah, the another world one. is upside on down. On fire. On fire. I would have thought that was the end of the world. Listen, <laughs> if I had I mean, been in Europe during yes. the Holocaust, I would have said the that was world is, gone. is ending. Yeah, I would thought the world was ending then. Nothing is new. Nothing is new. The world is, there's always a battle between good and evil going on in this world. It will be like that until Jesus returns. In the meantime, we make daily choices. Yes. Courageous, hopefully, courageous daily choices. um, So that we, when we stand before God... Not in a prideful way, but we can say, you know what? You were faithful. I trusted you. Thank you for helping me trust you. You were always faithful. Yes. Well, and also I think, you know, in light of of the fragility of human life is always precious to God. I mean, this was life and death, destroying unborn children, destroying infant, infanticide, destroying mm-hmm. born children is yes. always just repellent. But what, are, what am I going to do in my generation to say life matters, it always matters? You know, what am I doing in a culture that says, no, it should be expedient? Or what do I do to help someone that's had to make, you know, when you have to make that choice, in our culture, it's pretty easy to say, will I have the child or not? Should I, should I not? That's what we're told. So as a, as a person of faith, I need to have thought through, like we said earlier, what will I do if I get to that point where my child or somebody I know is trying to make that decision to keep their child or yes, not? Yes, yes. Or how will I show compassion to someone that made the choice to abort their child and let them know there's great grace and mercy for that? And healing. And love them. And healing, yes. And healing and not judge them. But like we have a real challenge in our day and time to go, this has really kind of been going on for a while. Yeah. In a sanitized way. But, you know, as a church and as people that follow Christ, how do we have this conversation? Right. We have to think through it. We can't dodge it. No. So, I mean, that that's to me something that, that Shifra, is that mm-hmm. the way you say yeah, I've been saying so. it wrong? I think so. Uh, and Pua really are examples of having thought this through. It's such you know? a hot topic. It was a, it's hot, a hot topic, topic then. then. It's hot now. It's and always it, been that it way. It breaks my heart 
when people yell and scream at each other about this issue, it just, it just, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, it's not ever going to be easy. No, it's never going to be easy. And it's something we have to ponder and sit with and look at the word about. Right. Well, in the middle of all these upside down situations, we hopefully trust God because Jesus, the descendant of Moses stepped in. He was not rescued from the Nile. He Mm -mm. was born to die, and he was crucified and killed unjustly by a maniacal religious, political, and religious, religious and political regime. Jesus, though, willingly laid down his life and picked it up again so we could stand courageously in the face of any world system. That's right. And I want want to share this too, Bon. Um, It's been a, a really... I, it's trite. We, use, we say everything's life changing these days, and we've overused that phrase. But I can. But little, it is. Our lives are changing yeah. in different moments. <laughs> well, what, and what I want to share that was life changing for me was when <clears throat> I learned about a nonprofit called the Voice of the Martyrs. Mm, oh, I love the Voice of the Martyrs. Yes, yes, they're amazing. <clears throat> and I learned through their work that we have got brothers and sisters in Christ today whose lives are in danger every day just because they're Christians. Mm-hmm. They are following Jesus in these countries. And and it's really, it's literally a matter of life and death. And we don't hear about this in the news. No, not at all. This is not covered. <clears throat> but this is interesting. There are 152 countries in the world today where Christians are persecuted. Yes. In some of them, it's illegal to own a Bible. In some of them, you can be thrown in prison and tortured for worshiping Jesus. And in some of them, you can be killed for just merely saying that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now, these... I feel like such a, an American spoiled white woman there, right? When I think about it, you I know? feel like a hothouse posy. Hothouse posy. <laughs> so I, I think we can learn a lot from them. Yes, we can. And uh, dear We can listeners, support them. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I want to, to lead you to thevoiceofthemartyrs.com. Mm-hmm. Check them out. Yes. Uh, and you can, if you can learn more, their mission voiceofthemartyrs.com is to get assistance of every kind to the persecuted church all over the world. And they do this secretly. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all these underground contacts. Yeah. yeah, contacts, yeah. underground. They have eyes on the ground in these countries. Right. And they're getting help. They get medical help to them. They get financial help. They support the widows whose husbands have been martyred. They get they smuggle Bibles in right. to countries. That have none. And this organization was started by two amazing people, Richard and yes. Sabina Vombrand. Amazing story. Yes. Uh, Romanian Christians. Um, they were both imprisoned uh, in Romania for being Christians. Richard spent 14 years in prison, endured much torture and persecution. And Sabina spent three years in prison. And when they were released, they were ransomed out of Romania by the U.S. and came here. And in 1965, founded the Voice of the Martyrs, and they spent the rest of their lives trying to educate the West, the church in the West, um, about what's What's happening to our brothers and sisters all over the world. So they they exist to help persecuted Christians stand strong, and we can, we can do a lot. We can pray, of course, number one. We can give money to the Voice of the Martyrs. You can even go to their website and write a letter to a Christian who is in prison right now. And send them encouragement and your love. So, And sign up for their free monthly newsletter. 
Uh, it gives current updates on what's going on in these countries. It's got pictures of these beautiful people and their stories. Yeah, and go to YouTube and look up some of the interviews with Richard and his wife because they're just powerful, yeah. profound yeah. interviews before yeah. he died. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness we have them on video. Yes, yes. Yeah. Good. You know, these are days that call for courage. It's an understatement. <laughs> every every generation. Yeah. There are days this side of heaven that call for courage. Right. Lots of courage. Right. The, the issues that the midwives, we hope that, you know, you guys listening, we hope that you see that what they faced is nothing new. We just need to know that we will stand no matter the cost. Because especially where we live, God does not owe us a nice, comfortable life. He does not. I mean, this theology of believing God for a bigger house or a bigger car or for success, God doesn't owe us success. He loves us and he, he gave us everything for us to be with him always, but he does not owe us in America anything. Um, and that's hard that's for me. That's hard for all of I us. I have been comfortable all my well, life. Well, yes, so have I. So have I. And, and I mean, you can tell uh, how spoiled you are by how you act when the power goes out. Oh, yeah. well, oh, I'm not good with that. Not either. I get very grumpy mm-hmm. very fast. Mm-hmm. But um, God doesn't owe us anything, but he did say, Jesus said, things are going to be rough here and there. There are going to be trials when they come, not if they, when they come, God will be with us. He will be, we can trust him because he is in control. He promised never to abandon us. He is all about working out things for his good and his glory. And that is what the midwives believed. And they, they couldn't see the full picture. We can't either. Um, they could not possibly have known about Moses. They couldn't have possibly known about they were going to save the life of a, of a child that was going to deliver a nation out of bondage. Um, they didn't know God was using them in his larger plan of salvation to bring his seed through Christ to the world. And sometimes all we can see is just a given moment and just say, I'm going to in the next moment do the next right thing. But we can know that God is sovereign in that moment. And we know that he will never do anything. He, there's no darkness in him. He will never do anything apart from his steadfast love and his faithfulness. So because of his character being so good and so perfectly righteous, we can obey him even when it feels risky mm-hmm. and scary and like we might look weird or feel like we're not understood. We can just take, we can take that step into courage. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say this as we wrap this up. That there is mercy yes. for us when we fail to be courageous. God knows that we will fail. Oh, we have and we will. Uh, but he's offering us the chance to step into courage anew each day. Mm-hmm. Each day. Trust him. Step into a little more courage today. And yeah, remember, it's a process. Yeah, it is a process. Mm-hmm. We mature in our courage. Mm-hmm. And there's grace when we fail. Uh you know, if you're if you're feeling discouraged, or if you're thinking back and going, "Why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Why did I say that? Why didn't I?" Blah blah blah. Whatever it is, we all do that. We all have regret. Yeah, we all have regret. But there is mercy and yes. grace. Uh, that's why Jesus came. Yeah, and I, I think God. What's what's so compelling about His love is He keeps giving us another chance to step up again. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like, okay, don't look back. Yeah. Let's go forward. Now, here's another chance to step up. Well, Peter denied Jesus three, three times, times right yeah. after saying, I'll right. die with you. Yeah. I, they may desert you. I will you, never leave you. <laughs> but I'll die with you. Yeah, and he then, cursed at people. 
You know, he didn't, didn't know Jesus. He denied yeah. Jesus three times. We are all like Peter. And Jesus said, I've prayed for you when you get to the other side of this. You'll be sifted, but I've prayed for you. So strengthen your brothers. You'll be strengthen your brothers. And man, you strengthen me yeah. all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah girls. Um, get, get yourself you've a really good Christian friend. A great friend that just stands with you with God and understands when you fail or they fail and you help each other back up again. Yes, and the joy of talking to each other and going, you won't believe what God did today. You know, sharing, yeah, sharing the such God a joy. stories, it's total joy. Well, and not too long ago, I won't go into why, but I was having a really difficult time, and Nan was, was with me, and I was crying, and I was just weeping, and I said, I just don't think I can do this anymore, and you said, just let me believe for you, <laughs> Yeah, which is a line from our musical. Right. But um, and who yeah. knew that I would actually say it to you one day? And you and, and we both grief. started crying because yeah. it was it was very much needed and true at the time. Yeah. you need somebody that you can be that that vulnerable with, right? And who will encourage you in the darkest? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's gold. Well, let's in the spirit of Jonathan Edwards, <laughs> who at 19 years of age wrote 70 resolutions for his life. What what, yeah. what should we mm. what should we be resolved for today because of the midwives? Uh, the one about fearing. Oh, yeah, let's say it, let's say it. I will fear God rather than men. Yeah, resolved. Say it again. Resolved. I will fear God rather than men. Amen, amen. And we want to just pray over you today for this. Um, and together with you, God, give us courage. Lord, um, give us courage in you to stand on your word when we can't see how anything good can come out of what we're facing. Lord, give us a daily manna of your grace and mercy to follow Jesus one day at a time where we are. And in his name we pray. Mm. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. We want to thank some special people whose help made this podcast possible. Thank you, James Hollihan, the brilliant producer of our musical. And thank you, Michelle Marciata, the editor and producer of this podcast. And thank you, Wayne Gurley, for helping us from the very beginning to make this dream a reality. And thank you to the best audience anywhere, women who dare to believe. 